This week's one-off, Abstract, The Art of Design, Season 1, Episode 6, Paula Share, Graphic Design. Can you guess what my favorite two sentences or line of dialogue were in this whole episode? Ooh. Um. Like, can you guess what you think, like, popped for me? And I was like, oh, that's... That's like a, I wrote it like I quoted it like I got it and quote I wrote it down, and I want to keep it forever. Well, that's a that's tricky because there are a few things that I wrote down, but I wrote them down because I'm Steve and I'm not Dave. I know, I know, I know. You probably wrote something down about uh, I don't know elections or something, but <laughs> it's it's not something designed to answer questions. It's more designed to raise them. No, that's that's a good guess though. I mean, that was a really good guess. That, that was close. That was one that I, I did enjoy hearing. Now, my favorite line in this whole the whole episode was, uh, you have to be in a state of play to design. Oh, right, of course. If you're not in a state of play, you can't make anything. Yeah. I love that. Uh, that made me love that. Like, the whole episode was uh, was amazing just because of that one sentence. Because, uh, I, I, you know, I talk about play a lot, especially in my, t- my TEDx talk and stuff. I like that you you got a TEDx plug in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I talk about it. It's my I teach people how to play. It's what I do for a living. I play for a living. Um, so to have the the this amazing uh, graphic designer say that, I was like, ah, oh, that's good. That's a good line. Yeah, and it was a a good, I think, articulation of kind of her process too. It is a very playful process, as as was evident by you know watching her do her work. Yeah, and it's the, I guess the difference would be like I know I play in front of people, so they watch me play. Uh, so sometimes they see uh, bad stuff because <laughs> they get to watch all of it. Whereas she plays in her notebook and in on canvases and computers and things, uh, and then the final product is always good. But it still comes from that same place of play uh, and creativity. Well, and it's not as if you are you're a single medium artist. You play around with different forms of graphic design and and web design as well posters mm-hmm, yeah. that sort of stuff sure. mm-hmm. yeah and then all and, and i just and that's that's what i do i play because i'm not uh, that good at it but it turns out even when you are good at it you still just play yeah yeah it's just a, it, it, it's a it's a process it's a way of engaging with material that allows you to kind of be creative and engage with it in, I, I mean, I think what was particularly striking in this episode was the juxtaposition between her her work and her approach and the brief little bit of time that we got with the ballot designer in the in the 2000 election. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, there, there's a little silly, but the, the idea of ballots as more than just function, because there's form is always present. And if you're not thinking about it, if you're not playing with it, then the form uh, can inadvertently do things. Yeah. And design is what's the, the Apple thing, the Steve Jobs line of design isn't how it looks, it's how it works. Yeah. And so, yeah, when a ballot design like that, that, now it doesn't work. It's not doing its job. It's badly designed. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's the thing. Like it's when you when you take when you take the boring and safe approach because you're not you're not trying to make any aesthetic choices. You're still making an aesthetic choice, and it's going to have an influence on what you do. And mm-hmm. 
you can you you can see this in all kinds of things. One 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 thing that drives me crazy is on my bookshelf. I will have books in a series that have all been designed roughly to follow the same format, <laughs> but they don't yeah. line up things like the titles or the authors' names. And, <laughs> and and so like I'll have I'll have thirty books by Stephen King on my shelf with twenty nine different design schemes, and they don't they they almost look alike, but they don't quite, and it's. It's it's because they went for boring and simple and didn't think it through enough. Yeah. Well, and even when you're not going for boring and simple and you're just going for like a function, there's so many ways to design something wrong. <laughs> like, like I I, sw- I just saw someone uh, I saw an article somewhere. I didn't actually read the article, so I have no idea what it said. But as soon as I saw the title of it, I was like, I think I know exactly what they mean because uh, it, it was about doors that are push or pull. And why do we make the mistake and try and pull on a push door and push on a pull door? And that means the door is designed in such a way that we, when we look at it, can't tell if it's a push or a pull door. So we just try one of them. Or it's designed opposite and we pull on it because it has the pull handle. And it turns out, oh, no, no, you're supposed to push it on this side. Yeah, well, and you would think, I mean, doors are amazingly straightforward you you would think that there would be a really common visual language so that we could always tell if a door was push or pull not like just from a casual glance but yeah like uh, instead it's often like a little tiny label that's next to the handle or something like that Mm -hmm. and it's i I don't know it's it's strange like why not if if you can't pull why have a pull on that side yeah, why don't I just have a little push slab? You know, those push slabs? <laughs> it's funny because uh, I know exactly what you're talking about, <laughs> but that's definitely not what they're called. Yeah. Um, okay, before, I just want to ask you more about this, 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 my favorite line from this episode. Yeah. So when you're working outside of a creative field, because you do creative things as well, uh, you're, you're creative. <laughs> I'm so glad they didn't use that, that anywhere in the episode. <laughs> She's a creative. But when you're working on like a, a a huge paper or something like an academic paper, do you do you think of it or describe it to yourself as just playing around with ideas and playing around with with words and language, or is it feel like work for you? Uh, I I'm um not not always, but in in a lot of my writing, I I describe it as play. Uh, it's 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 a process of play with how words fit together, with how sentences fit together into paragraphs, into uh, into a broader schema. I play with cadence and sound and feeling and meaning, and and it it forces me when I'm writing to think about things beyond just does this say precisely factually what I mean. Uh, it, it also gets me to think about is. Does this emotionally resonate? Do these, do, does this fit the aesthetic that I'm trying to get at? It, like, play is definitely a, a part of my writing, mm-hmm. I would say. It's not a part of all the work that I do. When I do political work, for example, it's, it's not often, uh, it, it, it doesn't always fit into that same style of play. But when mm-hmm. I'm doing something like writing, it, I, I try and make it, I try and make it do that, uh, that playful nature, that that um, 
that, that, that I think the way that it was described in there, I think it really fits. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, I was just checking because I, I find myself doing that with all things, like just, just messing around with it until something comes out that I'm like, ooh, I like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't see, when I'm writing an essay, I don't see myself as someone who is an academic writing an essay in this kind of cold and detached sense. I see myself as an artist engaged in a different medium. I will often describe myself as an artist in, engaged in wordplay, uh, in, in that sort of uh, approach, as opposed to, I don't know, uh, some... I, 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 like, I, I can't imagine not using the word artist to describe what I do as an academic. It's so ingrained in my approach to my work. Hmm. Uh, when you hand in your papers, do they always have to be the same font? Well, yeah, but that's because you're supposed to do Times New Roman. If you don't do Times New Roman, you're, you're, you're doing something wrong. So you do it in Times New Roman? Well, it's, it's, that's the convention. You're just like, it's, it's a formatting, just like you're supposed to use one inch margins throughout double space, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. it's yeah. A, yeah. It's, you, you don't have a lot of opportunity to be creative in, in font choices and that sort of stuff. And that's a good thing. When I'm marking a student's paper and they have spent more time thinking about their font choice than they have about the content of their paper, it's, it's always a problem. Yeah. And do you write in Times New Roman or do you write in something else and then, and then, uh, change it all to Times New Roman double space. I exclusively write in Times New Roman, usually single space, and then change it to d double space. Which I don't know why I do that. Come to think of it, yeah, yeah, it's it's it's, it's your flow. It's my flow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and cool. I, I guess that gets to a question that I've been thinking about in this because, as as we've said, you and I are both artists in different mediums, and and here Paula talked about her. She, she mentioned sitting in cabs as one of the ways that she starts to generate ideas, which like it's, it's one of those things that kind of sounds like BS to me uh, as someone who's never lived in New York. But but that idea like where she starts to generate her ideas, do you have that kind of process for you? Yeah, I think I don't know if she phrased it like that. I think it was that she gets her best ideas when she's in cabs. Uh, okay. Like while she's just driving around, she like they like that's where she gets inspiration from. Um, but I understand the question. Uh, do I have, a, I don't know if I have a starting idea place because ideas just come in like the start of an idea. Sometimes I, it happens and I can't remember where it came from, but I have definitely places that I get better works and better ideas from. So one is, is walking, mm -hmm. uh, when I'm walking to and from somewhere is when I get hit with an idea for something and I'll, I just jot it down and write it down. And then other places is like the shower when I'm showering because it's like it's just me and I can, I'm just like alone with my thoughts. And so like ideas come. I think it's the same with walking. I'm just alone with my thoughts. But and I think those are where I probably get my, my biggest inspirations from. That and then, of course, just living life. <laughs> and like you're out somewhere and you're talking to somebody and they say something and then you go like, hmm, that's actually a neat idea. And then you write it down. But uh, but when but as far as like when do I get my own solo creative ideas i think it's walking and showering what about you i guess that was the weird part about it for me is because like i don't i don't have a best place i don't have a place where i i really often get ideas i am for, for me inspiration strikes in often unexpected places and 
and grabbing on to those unexpected places is one of the one of the, my big struggles when I'm when I'm having trouble getting to an idea or when I'm having trouble figuring out how to formulate a particular design or something like that if I could go to a place and just you know that that I had that was reliable for me that would be great but instead I I often have to be struck by a moment um, and sometimes it's out walking. Uh, sometimes, you know, it's when I'm shopping for groceries. Sometimes I will be laying there and in bed and need to leap out of bed and go write for 20 minutes or something like that. So, do you yeah. do that though? I definitely do. You like jump out of bed and go write? Yeah, I, I definitely do. It's, it's, I will, I will, and, and, and I think I've talked about this before how I have a phone next to me in bed, but I will go out of bed, I will go pick up my notebook, and I will sit there, and I will write it out by hand more often than than I will just scratch it down in, in Apple Notes or something like that. Yeah, see, I'll grab my phone and, and write out, like, paragraphs in bed. Yeah. And, like, just keep going, just like, oh, then this is good, too, and oh, yeah, and then this, and this. And then when I read it in the morning, it's horribly written. <laughs> but the idea is still in there. You know, like, I got the idea across as I'm laying in bed, just trying to get these ideas out. Cause that was something I was thinking about with this was like, what do you do when you're, when you're struggling or when you're stuck or when you're in the middle of a project and you're like, I don't know what to do at this moment. Do you keep pushing through because you have to, or do you like get up, go for a walk, get up, go play music or go to the gym or whatever. Like, do you have something that you do to break up your work day? I, I think it depends a lot on the kind of project that I'm working on. So when I'm doing uh, visual graphic design or something like that, I tend to power through uh, moments that I'm struggling. So if I'm working on, as as you will you know, attest to every couple of years, I send you a new visual resume that I've been working on. Yeah. <laughs> I I will sit there and I will plow through that in two days and I will just sit at my desk working to do that. But when I'm writing, I will, I'm often more, I will write a paragraph and then I will go wander off and read a book for 20 minutes or I will, you know, turn on an episode of Justified or I will start playing uh, threes on my phone or something like that just to break, break myself away from the work that I'm doing. Hmm. Because I find that writing for me is a very, it's a brain draining uh, exercise. It's so intensive and I can't. I can't take a casual step away from it and do work on it casually in order to get out of a funk. I really, I need to just break away from it altogether. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, yeah, I, I do the breakaway method for just about everything I work on. No. <laughs> like uh, the only time I ever like will power through the moment of being stuck is if there's like a deadline looming. Yeah. yeah. Like I've got to get this in. But usually what ends up happening is I just, finish it quicker and then send it in and I'm never and not as happy with it as I could be. Yeah. Or I just settle for like a simple, easy uh, design. But, uh, but yeah, normally I, uh, and, and this is like Missy, my wife would attest to it was, is that like, <laughs> I'll be working on a poster and it'll look pretty much done, but then I'll be like, I got to sleep on it and then I'll close it. And then the next day I'll look at it again and tweak a few more little tiny things. And then I've tweaked them and then I go, uh, I need to sleep on it again. And then I come back to it. And it's not until like, the, there has to be like a day almost in between from when I finish. And then I look at it and I go, yeah, okay, that's good. 
And if I don't tweak it anymore, it's ready. That's that's my that's my like general rule for design. And it's and yeah, it's not always a day. I say a day, but it's like you know I have to step away from it and come back to it. And if I don't tweak it anymore, then I know it's good. I'm I'm not a well no I I, I guess I I'm I'm fairly collaborative in a lot of my projects. Not in the sense that I will do a lot of work with other people directly, although you and I have a lot of projects that we do together. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I. I get to a point in a project where I'm like, I just need another pair of eyes to look at this. I've looked at this for too long and I just need to send it to someone. And I will do that throughout the process before it's done. And I know it's done when I don't have that feeling that I need to send it to someone else. Mm. So you don't, you don't need someone else's approval on it. Yeah. Where, where I'm, I'm not like, Oh, there's something that, that is off about this, but I can't quite place it or, I'm looking for some sort of criticism. When I when I feel like a project doesn't need that extra set of eyes, that's when I'm I, I I'm done with it. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a good measurement. That's a good metric. Yeah, I mean it it works okay, you know, especially as somebody who is very casually uh, um, uh, a visual artist. So yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the great thing about it. Like neither of us really have our entire careers hanging on our ability as visual artists so no but and yet i do more visual art work than i should (laughs) well you 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 do a ton of it in order to support your uh your theatrical arts Mm -hmm. well yeah i have always wished that i knew more about typography (laughs) I, i i wrote that exact note somewhere here yeah I am not a I am not a typography nerd. I want to be. Uh, and it's like I I love people who talk about typography. I love watching any video explaining how a font works or why it doesn't work or or what's wonderful about it or what's terrible about it. Um, and I can see a font and know that that's a bad font for what you're using it for, but I don't know why. <laughs> you know, like when someone has a menu written like a, like a in a restaurant and the whole menu is in papyrus. Yeah. You know, there's something wrong with that because it's harder to read and it's annoying and it's, and it's too much, but I couldn't explain in terms why it is like in the, in the show where they showed the letter E mm-hmm. and then slid the middle bar up a little bit and then slid it down a little bit. And it totally changed the, the, the style and feel of the letter, but they didn't change anything else. And I was like, wow, that's so cool. And I wish I knew more about this. <laughs> I, for, I mean, the, the people that I read on the internet, many of them happen to be typography nerds. Yeah, yeah, me too. And, and I read their stuff and I can, I can appreciate it and appreciate that they appreciate this in a radically different way than I do. But yeah, I'm, I'm very similar in that I have not dedicated uh, enough time and I mean I I want to in the sense that I think that it would be interesting but I don't I, I obviously don't care enough to dedicate the time or energy to to really think that that thoroughly about type mm-hmm. if you asked me my my favorite font I would probably say something like ah Helve- Helvetica new just because I don't like I haven't really thought about it you know mm-hmm. I like Helvetica new light personally see uh helvetica new bold for me if i oh yeah sure <laughs> <laughs> i do that i use have like a new light also <laughs> yeah 
because most of what I do is like on computer screens and stuff and the light works fine. Um, but I can look at, I mean, I'm pretty good. Like I can look at like, I know when something is courier and when something is like uh, monospaced, is that what you call it? Versus not monospaced, like where the spacing is the same for every letter versus it fluctuates. Like mm-hmm. I can tell those differences, uh, which I think involves something called kerning mm-hmm. with the space between the letters, right? Look at you dropping all these these words. I'm just throwing out what I got in my head. Um, <laughs> and I know the, the like I know serifs and not sans serifs and stuff. And I know the the difference in weight, you know, and how, how thinner and uh, thicker goes and stuff like that. But when it comes to like the curves of things and the placements of of uh, like the center line on that E, like those yeah. sort of things, if you showed me the font and then showed me another font and asked me the differences, I would not notice that. You know right. what I mean? Right. Like I'd be like, oh, yeah, and the, the thing's thicker or thinner and the spacing is different. But I wouldn't be able to tell you what the E looked like in comparison to each other because that's just not what I look at because I'm not a typographer. Yeah. And surprise, surprise, I'm not a topographer either. <laughs> and uh, and Paula Cher seems to be both. <laughs> she, I mean, the it was, it, it, it was fast. <laughs> I'm just riding right through that one. <laughs> it, it was fascinating to watch somebody who has dedicated their entire life to type and mm-hmm. and seems to have made a fairly successful career out of doing so. Mm-hmm. In and and she isn't she she works in multiple mediums but her approach is always through typography mm-hmm. in like all of her maps they're not maps they're not they're 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 typographies mm-hmm. and and so they to- anyway. topographies <laughs> <laughs> i hate you <laughs> <laughs> but but she she she's so heavily invested in in the idea of fonts and type uh, that it it influences every single thing that she does. And I I mean particularly as an artist that moves between uh, essays and the written word to visual and poster design to improvisational theater, I don't have that sort of consistency uh in in the same way that she has seems to have throughout all of her work like her uh, yeah she, like she talked about the the cover of the boston album as something that she actually hates and you can kind of see why because she probably didn't actually get to do very much in that as a as the kind of design that she wants to do and it was more about flying guitars and exploding earth than it was about the the words and lettering and stuff. Yeah, you'll notice she didn't say anything about the lettering in there, probably because mm-hmm. there wasn't anything for her to say. Yeah, and you know, it, it is funny because I do gravitate towards, like, when I have to make a design for something from scratch, and because I'm not much of an illustrator, I do generally gravitate towards uh, uh, type-based designs. Yeah. Like, I love the use of, of words on posters and, like, just words on posters or uh, words arranged in a cool way with some weird flourishes around them. Like, that sort of stuff. I, I love that. And I always gravitate towards it. I'm just, But I'm not very good at it. <laughs> so it's like this, this double-edged sword. Wait. just it's, it's like a sword. It's just a single-edged sword. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can see it in things like the, the, the logos for our podcast, right? Style Guide and Question Period are both your logos and they're... 
both typography based. Yeah, they're both typography. And and when I went to sit down with the one-offs logo, look, look what I did. I did something yeah. that was really just typography. Yeah, and I mean, the question period logo is one of my favorites that, that I ever did because it's just like, it says question period in like a nice thick font. But then the background is the big Q, but with the whole of the Q taken out. Yeah. And so, so it's it, like the outline of a Q and it gives like a nice like, yeah, and then it, the Q also looks like a... Uh, a t- speech bubble like you're talking right and so it has like I, I i it was like a design where i was actually like using the elements of typography mixed in with the real world but subtly like the city bank one that she showed with the umbrella yeah like just using it but very subtle and it's not in your face but when you look at it you do get that sense that this is a, a talking podcast about uh, politics yeah yeah i feel sorry that was that was like the closest i ever came to feeling like i really understood what typographers think about but it doesn't get to the point where I would say that there. Oh, is sorry. Really... Did I say did I say typographer or topographer there? <laughs> I meant typographer. Just to be clear, uh, it it never gets to that point where I would say like there's there's a common visual language like except in the very loosest sense of there's words in the center of the the logo. <laughs> like it's... yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't. We're not that good. <laughs> yeah, but but that idea of a visual language that she talks about with the theater having or the um, the Pier 55 space or, or that sort of, that, yeah. that really, that idea caught on to me. And I really enjoy uh, the the notion. Yeah, I thought the same thing. Because with Paper Street Theater, uh, which is the company I run, <laughs> our posters for every season, uh, I keep them in a visual aesthetic with each other so that they they look like a set. Yeah. But if you look at all of our posters <laughs> across like years, there's no no visual aesthetic that stays the same. <laughs> like they, the fonts are different, the colors are different. Like the, other than the fact that they're the same size, they look like nothing alike. <laughs> well, and and that's one of the that's one of the struggles there, right? It's do you need to do that as an artist for Paper Street? Is that something that would be valuable for? for the company i mean paper street isn't about a space right it's a it's a collection of people that that perform in different spaces uh all yeah, over and part and and part of me always liked the idea that that there was no uh set look for all of our posters because we are an improv company so we're constantly changing and making new things and reinventing ourselves yeah whereas something like an uh, like an opera company all of their posters should look like opera companies or yeah. they should all look like, hey, this is the opera. Come see the opera. Whereas for Paper Street, especially because we do genre, it's like, this poster should make you think of uh, David Mamet. This poster should make you think of of Agatha Christie or whatever. And that's what we're doing, and that's what we're pitching to you, not improv or Paper Street. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a constant reinvention. It, it better fits with the style of play that Paper Street is than the the more historical or institutional design of something like the opera. I think that's a, a really good example. The opera has to be an institution, whereas Paper Street itself is is playing... It, the, the very act of play is the institution, and and the changing designs of posters and, and the visual language being more fluid reflects that. Yeah. All that said, now that I've watched this episode, I'm like, oh, maybe I should... Well, look work towards 
or go getting an, <laughs> a brand that fits across everything. And like we do have a font that we use that uh, that is the font for our, our logo that I use on the website and that I use in any promotional material that isn't a specifically cool looking poster, you know. Uh, but it's just kind of like that's just the font we use. <laughs> it's not like I designed anything about it. And I guess that gets to the the point that she was making when she was when she was designing things for like bring uh, bring bring in bring into noise bring into funk. It was it was about creating something that said the design that spoke to the design of the public theater, while at the same time the uniqueness of the individual subject. Yeah. And I mean, when you look at Paper Street's posters, you you get it like you get what each one is but would you say that season one's posters and the most recent season's posters say paper street theater to you immediately and i don't know i think that's a um and is is that something that's valuable that's a trickier question mm-hmm. yeah okay uh i think we're kind of getting near the end here aren't we or yeah i guess so because I, I, there's a couple of things I really want to talk to you about. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Which is about your relationship with paper. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, because uh, I think myself and I'm going to assume most people who are listening and most people in the world are slowly moving away from paper for most of their work <laughs> and moving on to screens and into you know uh, other mediums. Uh, now, I know you, you've already mentioned and I know you, so I know that you use paper all the time. Mm-hmm. And prefer to like longhand write stuff. Uh, and I do use paper. I have a relationship with paper. But your relationship is much more intimate. <laughs> so like, it, what what is it that keeps you using paper for writing out like ideas instead of just typing? Part of it for me is is there is an intimacy to paper that there isn't with a screen. Even the best screens that we're using, there there is a detachment between how I how I play with that, whatever material it is, whether I'm typing, whether I'm drawing on a screen, whether I'm editing a photo, they're, they're, I'm detached by this piece of glass. And, mm-hmm. and it's something that I, I was never really aware of until I started playing with fountain pens, mm-hmm. at which point I really started to understand the tactile nature of paper and how, how important that feeling is for me in how I, in how I uh, play with words and work and think through ideas and and so, I mean now I have I have four notebooks on the go for different things and and I use different colored inks at different times. Like for example, my notes for this show, I write out by hand, and I do everything in one particular like all my casual notes that I'm making along the way are in one particular color. And then when I had a question, I would switch pens and use a different pen with a different ink so it pops in a different way so that I can casually recognize, oh, have Dave and I talked about the fact that papyrus sucks yet? No, yes. Like it, <laughs> and it's a way that pops for me really uh, visually, which is funny because I'm not a visual person, but it, I find that it works really well for me. And then when I finish a notebook, I have... I have this physical artifact that looks kind of funky and cool, and and if you flip through it, you'll see a bunch of different 
colors and and different kinds of things written in there and it it's a mm -hmm. it, it lives in the world in a way that a note document doesn't yeah you have your own you have your own language or your own uh, syntax i guess or or whatever you call it uh, for how you write yeah yeah your own format yeah uh which is great i mean i for something like the show i have all my notes in on my computer yeah because uh, i write them out on my phone while watching and then on my computer i have them here so i can go through them and and i have them double spaced <laughs> and then as we talk about things i embolden them <laughs> uh, would you call it embolden them uh, i i hear people say bold them i bold, bold things. them yeah and and there's something that sounds wrong about that but you know same yeah time. but yeah so like my relationship with paper is a little more uh a little more in the night, you know, like, like a casual. <laughs> um, uh, like, for instance, uh, last week I was in, at an improv festival. And uh, so I was down there and I realized I forgot to bring a notebook because I don't use notebooks all the time anymore. Uh, and so I bought one when I was there and I got one with the rings on it. Right. Which I don't know if you how you feel about rings versus no rings, like. Never your, rings. Um, never never rings. rings. Yeah, and I was always a never ring kind of person. But for this festival, and because of the of the situation, the rings are perfect because you can fold it right over, and it's just like a, a pad, right? Right, and then you can close it up. And so, and because it was a festival, and I was taking notes on workshop and workshops and stuff, the pad idea was much better and worked great, and I loved it. And so, in that situation, I'm definitely a paper person. And when I'm learning and when I'm processing information, paper is great because I can underline things or I can like uh, put things, put squares around things that I think are important. Uh, I can, after I've written something, I'll throw like a, like a, you know, like a curly brace right. around the whole paragraph and then write another little note about the whole paragraph. So if I'm skimming through the notebook, I can find things. Uh, I doodle pictures of what we're talking about so that I get a visual idea of it. If someone mentioned a comic book or a comic strip, I draw out my version of the comic strip. Like, And so in a learning environment, I love using paper. But in a uh, any anytime I'm taking a thought from my brain and putting it out into the world, I like yes. using a computer. Right. And so like when I'm writing, I write on computers. When I'm creating a design, I like to do it on a computer. Uh, so like it's an interesting, uh, when I'm taking it in, it, I like putting it on paper. When I'm putting it out, I like putting it on the screen. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. I see paper as a, as a, a play space for me, as more of a sandbox. And when I'm, when I'm actually producing it in a, in a way for, for a formal production, for formal work, that's when I move to type. That's when I move to uh, a more, or that's when the I move screens, to Photoshop. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess I, I don't use it in in the same way as, as a play space. I use it as a uh, a almost like a if I write it down physically with my hand, I'm more likely to remember it. Right. Right. Uh, and when I type it out, I'm less likely to remember it, but I'm more likely to go back to it. Yeah. And access it because I'm going to use that later. Whereas the stuff in my notebook is like these are great thoughts that I want to like remember, and writing it down helps me remember. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the other, only other thing we should probably say is that Paula Cher is totally like one of my heroes now. Oh yeah, she's awesome. like I, uh, I'm 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 a, I'm a fan of hers now, and I'm actually I started looking up other work of hers because uh, it 
it's uh, it's awesome. And again, I wish I was more into typography. So I wish I was Paula Share. Well, you you could be, Dave. It's never too late. It's true. She's like seventy now, right? Like, and she's. I think she implied that she got started like maybe early thirties. Like when she finally worked her way into what she wants to do for her life. Yeah. Because yeah. before that, she was like working on album covers. Yeah. So, you know, you could get to it, Dave. Well, maybe now's the time. <laughs> Is that our final line? Well, I, I mean, I was going to say now's the time's new Roman, but now's the time seemed more Yeah, that seems, accurate. Seems, seems a little bit better. <laughs> cool. We'll end it there. Oh, comic sans. Next week's one-off, Riverdale, Season 1, Episode 7, In a Lonely Place. <laughs>